Hanging Out, Indiana's only LGBTIQ plus news and public affairs show, featuring music, events, and interviews, both local and global. Live from the WFHB studios in Bloomington, Indiana, this is Blooming Out. Good evening, loves. Thank you for tuning in or streaming or downloading Blooming Out on WFHB. I'm Melanie Davis. And I'm Justin Robertson. I'm Ireland Meacham. I'm Lucas Fisher. Today, we have the return of Jennifer Bass and Just Married. Her series. Yeah. <laughs> it's Woo-hoo. been too long. Hey, Jennifer. How are you doing? <laughs> we should have noisemakers. <laughs> yeah. <we're- laughs> Uh, it's her series that features stories of LGBT relationships in the age of same-sex marriage. Tonight, we're spotlighting the story of Sue and Danielle, who we have with us as well. Yay! Hello! Hello. Welcome to the show. Thank and you. They're, they're nearly 30-year cross-country relationship. Welcome, <laughs> everyone. Woo! Okay, first to check in, how have you all been this impeachment? Mm. <laughs> Oh, peachy. <laughs> Very impeachy. <laughs> That's all I got. I'll be here all, all night. <laughs> <clears throat> Jennifer, you were, you were talking about your impressions of it. Oh, man. I just, I'm kind of blown away. I mean, you think you know what happened on the 6th of January, and then you listen to the, the new footage and the uh, impeachment jurors who are bringing in all this new information and it's just so incredible and so compelling and jaw-dropping to think of what happened that day and how it was incited by our president i'm sorry but that it's so obvious and it's just going to be interesting to see how the um how the senators come down on it but it's, uh, you know, it's a part of history that we cannot just close the door and keep going on. I just don't think so. There's lots to do in this country, but I think it has to be, um, it has to be exposed and yeah. it's full and it's full horror. Absolutely. One of the, uh, one of the things that was rolling around in my head as I was, I was listening to some of it, I haven't actually had a chance to listen to today's, um, but, uh, I caught little bits of it here and there. And listening to what went on this time, as opposed to like Watergate, which is the the last really big, because I, I don't I don't count the uh, <clears throat> Oval Office indiscretions of Bill Clinton as um, being anywhere on par with this, but Watergate, the the stakes were so much higher here. There's so much more. <clears throat> um, Nobody died in Watergate, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't anything like an insurrection and, and they're just trying to blow things off now. And I just can't wrap my head around that kind of, um, irresponsibility. So. <clears throat> Anybody else got some news or anything going on with y'all before I get going? I'm going to, mention a little bit about what happened uh this week with myself but anybody else yeah well you have very exciting news so why don't you share that with us uh it's not it's it's potential so i i turned my application in for uh the uh mccse school board and um district five seat and Mm -hmm. i got a phone call today this morning about uh scheduling a, a meeting so i will have an interview on tuesday of next week and we'll see there there are a lot more people uh in the running and we'll see i am excited yay that's awesome yay congratulations great who is the interview with i don't know yet okay. <laughs> so it, it but is be... it like the party interviewing you they're not or they're it, not they're not yeah it's not okay it's non-denominational <laughs> um replace keith klein is yeah yeah who just died yeah. um not not necessarily i'm you know uh he was he was i don't know if you can replace people but uh mm-hmm. to take his seat yeah and 
I, I imagine it'll be people from the school board and um, like uh, Kathy Fuentes Rohr, who's who's the president, possibly. Uh, and, you know, maybe people from the administration. I'm not sure yet. So we'll find out at 8.55 on Tuesday. <laughs> P.M. That tells you how many people they have. <laughs> so, all right. Enough about me. Let's get on and talk about our guests. Uh, I'm I'm just really excited to have the segment back, to have Jennifer, you come back, and uh, and to have you two on the show, uh, Sue and, and Danielle. I'm, I'm really, um, I've been missing you. <laughs> uh, so yeah, tell us a little bit about, um, Jennifer, tell us a little bit about what's been going on with, with the segment. Uh, or your uh, project, and then um, uh, Sue and Danielle, if you can kind of give us a, a an idea of like you know who you are and and what's going on, and then we'll go and play the segment. Well, honestly, it's uh, it's been kind of hard to do new interviews during COVID. I don't really like doing Zoom interviews, so but we still have some. Um, some raw footage to work with, and we're creating new podcasts. Uh, we did one just a couple weeks ago that I hope we'll be able to highlight on the show uh, with this lovely couple, and uh, and another one that we haven't talked about since uh, since COVID hit was the couple from Louisville who were part of the um, Supreme Court decision. They were actually plaintiffs in that decision. And they're delightful people. So we hopefully will bring them on at another time. But it's just really fun. I mean, these these interviews we did two and three years ago, but, you know, it's just nice to talk about happy things once in a while, like relationships and really get down. Um, these are relationships. What I love about this um, this project is we take for granted in the heterosexual world that if you just kind of go along and then you just decide you're going to get married because you've been together this long, okay, that's fine. Uh, good, good for you. Uh, but this uh, experience of having a same-sex marriage is still really new. It's, you know, we, <laughs> we think we've been through it all, but it's just not, hap it's not been around that long. It's still just five years since the Supreme Court decision. So there's a, there's a lot to catch up on. There are a lot of people that we still want to talk to. And, um, and I love Danielle and Sue's story. And, and one thing that you don't get to do in a 10-minute podcast is hear updates and hear about the other parts of their lives. And I'm dying to hear about what Sue and Danielle are up to because their work is so interesting even beyond their relationship. So maybe we'll have a moment to do that. Yeah. So, Danielle, would you like to give a, a bit of an introduction of yourselves, and then we'll we'll hop right into the the story. Sure. Well, I'm Sue, and um, uh, my partner is Danielle. She'll introduce herself. But um, we got together in 1992 in Portland. And then it seemed like we'd been together a million years at that point, but we got to uh, Indiana in 1996. So this is our 25th year in Yay. Bloomington. And um, yeah, and so when I'm, I'm not loving on Danielle, I have my own business. I'm a historian and I do historical research for hire. And um, Danielle has recently joined me like about six minutes before the COVID lockdown, Danielle <laughs> joined me in my business. And so we went from having very busy, separate professional lives to being around each other 24 seven. Mm -hmm. And I'll turn it over to her. <laughs> and that is in fact going pretty well. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, um, yeah, I have um, for the last, you know, 25, 30 years been involved in the arts and specifically in events and performing venues. Um, and so this is a big, huge 
um, transition for me to leave that world. Um, but um, I'm just happy that I had planned to leave that world before the industry like met such a crisis. Um, I'm really glad that there are younger, fresher voices um, putting forth ideas and like changing the industry as we speak. Um, and I'm really thrilled to be looking more at sort of national trends and more and more about how history informs our culture. So oh my that's God. what we've been doing. That's <laughs> I could geek out with you all <laughs> so much. I love history so much. And that just sounds like a dream job to me. Right? You must have so much fun. And then to be able to do it together. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You. It's I mean, Sue's work focuses on um, LGBTQ history. Um, and so we're always like, <gasps> Eleanor Roosevelt was doing what? You right. know? And, <laughs> Um, and I'm, you know, we're just in the beginning of it, but I'm trying to figure out ways that we can um, help local communities around the spaces where Sue's doing historical research, like leverage that history to reach wider people sort of outside of the museum setting, which is sort of generally the client she's working for. Um, but I, you know, that's just a concept at this point. We have no idea <laughs> what we're going to do with that. Oh, that's awesome. All right. We should talk. But after this, okay, we're going to play and three, two, one. Oh, I got to do this first. Sorry. If not now, tell me when. If not now. Welcome to Just Married Stories about love and citizenship in the decade of marriage equality. I'm Jennifer Bass. Today we hear from Sue a historian of LGBT culture, and Danielle, former director of the historic Buskirk Chumley Theater in Bloomington, Indiana. Here's Ireland Meacham. Sue and Danielle have been fixtures in the Bloomington, Indiana community for over 20 years, but they met while they were both living in Portland, Oregon. Um, so we met in 1992, two days before the state election, in which Measure 9 was um, going to be voted on, which would have been a devastating LGBT ruling that would essentially make it illegal, all kinds of things. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, and so that was sort of the background of, the, of that party, was that that was gonna be going down in just a few days. But Sue and I found a 10, 15 minutes to flirt with one another, then I, invited her out dancing a couple weeks later and we essentially started dating from that point forward. While we were in Portland about a month into our relationship, I brought up being non-monogamous, mm -hmm. which is what we were calling it at the time, mm -hmm. but it was a safe talk because I already knew Danielle's reputation in these matters. So, um, but yeah, so, so we established pretty early on that we would be polyamorous. Other longer-term relationships that I'd had previously, you know, had had eventually ended or um, fallen apart because of, of, you know, somebody cheating in the relationship. And so the, the idea that somebody was going to acknowledge that desire for other people and interest in other people was a natural part of a relationship and that we should just acknowledge that and you know, put some parameters about communication around that setup and make just integrate that into the terms of the relationship was just mind blowing to me. Um, and in many ways, I think I kind of fell completely in love with her when she sort of introduced that concept because it allowed for a level of honesty that I didn't think existed like in relationships. And we dated for about a year and a half, and then Sue started getting uh, sort of antsy. Portland was not her town. She decided she wanted to go on the road and just start traveling. And she um, kind of phrased it like, I'm gonna go. It would be really cool if you came with me. I said, okay. 
And so we bought a truck and we got on the road and started just traveling around the country. Danielle and Sue lived out of their truck for about a year traveling the country. Sue then decided to apply to grad school, and the stars aligned and pointed them to Bloomington, Indiana. So I asked Danielle, would you rather live in Chapel Hill or Bloomington? And since we had passed through Bloomington on our road trip, she said Bloomington. So I applied, and then I got the best funding package from IU, and we ended up in Indiana. The promise was two years I was entering a master's program. And that was the fall of 96. So that means we've been here 20 and a half years. <laughs> Sue and Danielle were committed to each other, but marriage wasn't really on their radar yet. I think Danielle had brought it up, but I said, I'm not even going to think about that until we've been together at least 10 years. And so then as we were approaching 10 years, Danielle's like, so, and I was like, I just, <laughs> I was like, just, just doesn't speak to me. Mm -hmm. But we did have a celebration in which we invited people from all over. We had a 10th anniversary party. Yeah, at 10 years in 2002. But it never really felt <laughs> like the having the documentation or being registered with the state was in any way important, except that imagining <clears throat> the possibility that, you know, Sue could be incapacitated in some way and her family intervening and imposing their own belief system and, and not having any ability to intervene was frightening. So in 2013, as part of the Pride Film Festival, I organized a flash mob wedding at the theater that was in protest to what was then a, a state initiative that would like make it illegal, put it in the state constitution that same-sex marriage couldn't happen in Indiana. In the lead up up to that, I had very specifically not asked Sue to be part of that ceremony because it would be a big public thing, and anyway, I just knew she wasn't going to say yes to it. And then as it got closer, she kept hinting like, well, you've never even asked me if I would be part of that. And so I finally said, well, do you want to do it? And then she had to deliberate until the very last minute, but then she said yes, she would do it. And so I felt like that was my big grand gesture, and that was, that was satisfactory. Even though that wedding wasn't technically legal, Sue and Danielle felt like it was good enough for them. But then, same-sex marriage became temporarily legal in Indiana for just a few days. So they decided to get married for real. It was when the circuit courts declared the laws banning same-sex marriage to not be legal. So we hauled some friends in to come with us, <clears throat> went to the clerk's office, our friends met us there, filled out the forms, they gave us the piece of paper, but they're like, but you need an officiant to actually marry you. Sue and Danielle went to lunch at the Uptown Cafe. Then, luckily, they were able to contact a friend who was a registered officiant. So then he walked into the Uptown and he's like, well, let's do it. And we're like, well, who's around? <laughs> so we looked around the Uptown. <laughs> at lunch hour. <laughs> at lunch hour and like half the people we know. Let's just go out on the street so we don't disturb everybody in the restaurant. And when we walked out, my coworker at the theater had put congratulations Sue and Danielle on the marquee. So that was really cool. So we stood on the side of the sidewalk. Um, and then while we were all like hugging and kissing and crying on the street corner, this woman happened to be walking by. And so she stopped. And like said, oh, this is a wedding. Like, let me give you a toast. And she had some Capri Suns. Happened to have a case of Capri Suns. And so she's like, let's make a toast. I thought I was so old and adult when I met Danielle. But the truth of the matter was I was 22. Still had a lot of, a lot of growing to do. And so the person I am now is such a reflection of my time with Danielle. She is so much braver than I am 
I was still pretty formative when we got together and I was so impressed. I'm like, I met Danielle, she's 24. She owns her own business. She's um, has her own theater company. <laughs> like you, you were working full time to support these things. So it just changed my whole thinking about how one goes about living life and my life is just so much better and fulfilled and happier. Like when I met Sue, I was still really distant from my own. I mean, I feel like I wouldn't really have an internal life without, you know, having met you. So in many ways, I feel like she saved my life. She has always accepted me, sort of wherever I was at, um, in a way that I didn't really believe existed until I met her. This week's episode was produced by Ireland Meacham and Jennifer Bass, with audio recording from Betsy Jose. Thanks to Carrie Newcomer and Blue Dot Sessions for musical clips. Support for Just Married comes from Indiana University's Department of Gender Studies, the Office for Vice President for Research New Frontiers Program, and the IU Bloomington Arts and Humanities Council. WFHB's Blooming Out is our podcast host. To hear longer versions of these interviews, visit the Kinsey Institute's Marriage Equality Collection or find us on Facebook at Marriage Equality Heartland. If not now, if not now, tell me when. <sighs> I got misty. That was Aww. the first time and the second time. So <laughs> Me too. <laughs> that was really, really sweet. Aww. Sue, I can't believe you were only 22 when you met Danielle. She was a baby. Just a babe in the woods. Danielle was, what were you, 24? Yeah. Yeah. So much older. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's nuts. I, I mean, the fact that neither of us were thinking that we would ever have like one long-term relationship. Like neither of us were those people. Mm -hmm. And so we didn't even have that motivation, but I have often explained it. Like she just kept being the best thing going, right? <laughs> like whenever I came to a crossroads, I was like, oh, I'd choose that one. And, you know, so, and then next thing we knew. <laughs> 28 years later <laughs> so. oh, great and I was wondering because you had to make a choice to move to Bloomington um was that the right choice to make are you you happy with your choice the um well I mean I tend to think that like there there are cool people and cool things everywhere you go like you could be in the smallest little town in the middle of nowhere mm. and there would be one really great character at the very least if not 10 um who would have amazing stories and be fun to hang out with and be there when you needed them um and i mean i grew up in kansas and then spent um my high school and college years in the northwest um so the idea of being around so many like hills where you could still have a vista, but but also have green trees, um, like has been great. Like I still think, ah, oh, maybe I'll go back to New Orleans or oh, Texas, Austin was awesome. And then I'm like, oh, but then there's no forests, so. Right, you know, I lived in New Orleans too and I do agree with you about the forests. Lots of times I really miss it. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I understand. I was just wondering if you felt the community here to be welcoming and supportive. The, um, it's not the flashiest place. <laughs> yeah, there was not a lot of queer in the queer community when we got here, especially. There's a lot of, you know, old school dykes and, you know, some gay men who were very normal. 
you know, <laughs> as far as, yeah, as far as we knew, yeah, what we <laughs> but so we felt like, you know, we we're like, hmm, there's not going to be a lot of action going on here. <laughs> But, you know, we're, we're just all talk because um, we've been here 25 yeah. years and yeah. we, on a, I mean, to be frank, we haven't needed to be here. We don't have family in the, like, like anywhere close to here. We, I, I'm from the East Coast. Danielle's family's on the West Coast. Like, <laughs> we, it's a plane ride either way. But, um I grew up on the East Coast, but I think that a lot of what drew me to Danielle is reflected in like the stereotypes of people from the Midwest. And so I have sometimes, you know, I get a, a lot, I, I, I work nationally and I work in LGBTQ history. And so I, I'm often meeting people from other parts of the country who are like, so Indiana, what, <laughs> you know, why, how? And, you know, I often describe it as like, I found a place where everyone was like Danielle. And of course, <laughs> no one's like Danielle, but there are certain things, you know, I'm so fiery and like, wear my heart on my sleeve and, uh, I'm all over the place all the time in a kind of stereotypical East Coast way. And Danielle, you know, is the rock. She's she's the clear thinking one. She's the easygoing one. And in many ways, that's a reflection of her Midwestern upbringing. And so I find Indiana completely charming in part because everybody to some extent reminds me of Danielle. Oh. Well, uh, I wouldn't think of Danielle as being a, a solid Midwesterner. <laughs> a little weird, to tell you the truth. And I, I she think, was my first Midwesterner, so maybe I had just imprinted on her. And I think you know when the back to Justin's question about you know how you feel about the community. I think the community has grown because of your participation. And I mean, Sue, I certainly your influence at, at IU with uh, you know, um, landmark issues around LGBT um, history, but really, Danielle, with your influence as being the director of the of our theater and your own theatrical um, tendencies, I think, <laughs> have really added to the community in, and your, you know, People want to know what are they up to those two. Aww. So, uh, so I think uh, you know we've all benefited from from you being here too. Well, thank you very much. That's very kind. I remember when um, you were stepping down actually from the theater, and uh, there was there was a buzz, and that I I didn't know you until this moment, um, but I've heard about you certainly, and. It was just this outpouring of of gratitude and from everybody, from everybody I knew. It was really um, strange to hear people from different, all different walks of life, not just LGBT community, but just all over Bloomington, and um, and they were singing your praises. So uh, it it's an honor to actually finally meet you after that. Uh, <laughs> Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I just remember you, you know, countless times introducing shows at the Buskirk, like all throughout when I was growing up in Bloomington. So it's, it's cool to finally meet you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'd encourage the listeners to go on the WFHB website to wfhb.org slash just dash married and click on the um, podcast, or not the podcast, but the, yes, the podcast of Sue and Danielle, or their own 10-minute podcast, just to see the picture of the two of them under the marquee at the Buskirk Chumley, wishing them uh, congratulations for their marriage. I, I just love that picture. I think it's so iconic. It's a great picture. We can also post it on yeah. our podcast website. We'll plaster it everywhere. 
Print yeah. it off. <laughs> Get some some downtown. But it is a really heartwarming, wonderful picture with yeah. the marquee and everything. Yeah. Now, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, um, going back to like Bloomington as, you know, choosing the place to be um, kind of thing. When, when Sue decided to come to grad school in Bloomington, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. Um, we're going to go to Bloomington, Indiana. It's going to be okay. But I'm going to like, unlike many other transitions in my life, I'm going to actually prepare. I'm going to like get into it, get ahead of the game. I'm going to look, I'm going to get a subscription to the newspaper. Um, I'm going to look for jobs before we get there, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and along the lines, I was like, and I'm going to read, but I know nothing about Indiana. Like, is it on the east or the west side of Ohio? Like, I have no idea. <laughs> and so somewhere along the line, I found um, like the, the history of Indiana. Um, I, called, checked, I checked it out for you from the library. Of course, she's the, I'm the historian. Yeah, and the librarian. And <laughs> she brought that home. It was by Jim Madison. It's called Hoosiers. Who lives here? And his whole tagline throughout the book is Indiana, evolution, not revolution. And <laughs> so I was like, okay, that's how, like, no more of this West Coast or East Coast, like standing up to the man, you know, throwing the the Molotov cocktails across the wall. Like, you got to get in and you got to go slow because every uh, otherwise everybody will freak out. <laughs> um, but one of the things I think that has always kept us in Bloomington at those moments when we've had choices to go somewhere else has been the idea that it's small enough and the way the structure exists in Bloomington that you're really not that far away from the power structure, kind of no matter where you are. Um, and so like, if you wanna make something happen in Bloomington, you can generally do it. Um, whereas in Austin or Seattle or even New Orleans, like there's, either so many layers of bureaucracy or um, like in New Orleans, just so many layers of history of the way things work that you, you know, if you're an outsider, if you're new there or you're somehow on the margins of that power structure, you can't really find your way in. Um, but in Bloomington, I felt like we always, like we can. Um, and that was really attractive, you know? So sometimes I'm like, <sighs> Um, I wish things would go faster or like, I just want to get angry. I don't want to be like strategic about this anymore. Um, and then I said, well, you know, but I might actually make something shift, um, which is like a big deal, which is a really big deal. So. Well, that brings to mind uh, in the, uh, the big wedding that you hosted at the Buskirk Chumley uh, to, to really uh, highlight RIFRA, which was the Religious Freedom Act uh, that was supported by our former governor and just, just Vice President Mike Pence. And uh, I think in, in that way, that's totally, uh, that shows the kind of impact you can have. Can you, can you tell us what that, staged wedding was like? How many couples did you have participate? Um, I think, I don't know, do you remember how many there were? Like, About a dozen? Yeah, I think there were 10 or 12 couples. And the idea was, like, I had heard, I had heard um, rumors that Mark Cruzan, who was our mayor at the time, was willing to do, wanted to do something. Um, he was an officiant or as the mayor, you get to be what, however that works. He wanted to do a game a wedding and no one had asked him. Like, I don't know, somebody said that. And I was like, the mayor should do a wedding. So I started thinking about it. I wrote to him. He said, you know, just tell me what you want me to do. And so then Martin Bout, who was our um, 
associate director at the theater and I at the time started like just banding around ideas. And the like the end concept was that, you know, it's not the big change that needs to occur is not about the people who want to get married. It's about the legislators agreeing that it is legitimate. And so we looked for couples who had been together for a really long time, who wanted to like, who were willing to participate in this. But the flash mob aspect of it was that, um, you know, we were able to announce the day before that Mayor Cruzan was going to do this. But then on the night of the event, not only Mark Cruzan, but all of the city council members and all of the elected officials and all of the county officials and a whole bunch of like um, religious leaders. And like, you know, the mayor started saying like, I am going to, you know, uh, officiate this wedding. And then all these other um, elected and people in leadership started coming onto the, onto the stage saying, and I verify, or, you know, I recognize this marriage and I recognize this marriage. And so that the flash mob was all of these people. Um, and we kind of didn't know that it was really gonna happen. Like <laughs> all the people were gonna show up. It was, you know, we were really crunched for time to make it happen. And like, there was kind of an avalanche of people wanting to participate in the flash mob side of it. So there, like I had leadership people from around the community calling me and texting me and, and emailing me on the day of the event going like, why didn't you invite me? Like, I wanna be on that stage too. And so um, that it was just really fantastic and heartwarming. We ended up getting international press about the event. Um, and the best thing for me, of course, was that, um, Sue decided that she would do it, <laughs> that she would stand on stage um, so that we got to be a part of it as well. So that was awesome. And you know that that you're telling that story and I'm remembering it and like that right there is why we're still in Bloomington. I mean, at the state level, things can get pretty stressful constantly, but it's it's it that was such a powerful experience and the fact that it was took place in the in the theater which is you know was kind of both of our second homes if I ever wanted to see Danielle <laughs> during that period I needed to go to the theater and it took place during the pride film festival in 2013 and um and also just the couples on stage like my former boss and his partner were there. Our across the street neighbors were there. And I'm talking about, they were on stage with us getting married that same event. Like it was um, someone Danielle had worked with at, uh, long-term as, as part of the steering committee for Pride Film Festival. It was just, it's, Bloomington has all the, the romance of a, sm a smallish town at the same time, it it never feels like it has the limits of a small town being that it's so progressive and that there's definitely a home for people like us here. That is such a wonderful story. I love it. It's just great. Danielle, I was wondering, I mean, you really, just as Sue said, you practically lived at the theater. I mean, you were there <laughs> 24 seven. I don't think that I ever went to that theater without seeing you running around. Um, <laughs> how has your life changed? Um, you know, since, uh, I mean, the Busker family was sort of like your baby and, you know, mm -hmm. care of it all the time and everything. I mean, do you feel like um, you have a kid that's left the house or? You were the kid that left the house? <laughs> well, I, because, um, because I had such a long, you know, I let the board know almost a year before I actually had my last day at the theater that I was going to leave. 
Um, so there's a really long transition time um, for me personally. And then I think like oddly enough, it has been like, it's been beneficial for me emotionally that this whole thing coincided with COVID because mm -hmm. I left the theater and the theater shut down, you know? But it wasn't like there was some failure or disaster about just the theater. There was a whole worldwide disaster. And so everything just had to pause for the theater. And so I, you know, haven't had to sit on the sidelines where while magnificent things were happening at the theater and I wasn't part of it, it's just all been this pause, you know? Um, and so I think, you know, I have no idea what it would have been like, um, you know, the um, Jonah Crismore, who's the new executive director has been fantastic in leading it since, um, you know, since I left and he is, you know, sort of the next generation of people who are going to envision what that space is all about. Um, and I think it's really, you know, it's really exciting to think more nationally and um, to be able to think about other communities instead of just the same players and the same people, you know, um, to think about new spaces. So I'm excited about that. I just ask if, or is it time for us to wrap up, or can I ask them a question about? Oh no, you Danielle rearranged her uh, other day. So uh, I had until six forty-five. I have a question about one of the projects that you might be doing now, the two of you. So can you fill us in on an exciting uh, LGBTQ history that you're involved in? Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's the uh, nuts and bolts of my business is that I, um, within the field of history, I'm a public historian, which means that my specialty is talking about the past with a wide audience, with the public. And um, I started my business about 10 years ago, and that was right around the time, actually, it might have only been like seven years ago that it really became feasible for a lot of like historic sites and museums to be talking about LGBTQ history. There's examples of museums doing exhibits like earlier than that, but they were in San Francisco and New York. But as far as like a nationwide effort to recapture the LGBTQ past, it's really pretty recent. And I've been really fortunate to, um, to be in, very involved with that effort because I, um, I'm an LGBTQ historian and I'm a public historian. And for 20 years of my career, I did those two things separately <laughs> because public historians weren't talking about that. Mm -hmm. But when that started to change, I was in a really good position to help with that effort. And so now it's fabulous and like every, everyone is, is doing LGBTQ history in the museum world and historic sites. And um, I get to still do <laughs> some of the exciting things, but not all of the exciting things. But for instance, I, um, I've been working a lot with the, the history folks in the state of Maryland, the historic preservation folks who want to um, include LGBT, like sites that are significant to LGBTQ communities because of important things that happened in our culture, like historically. And um, so that's been a couple year project with a couple different phases. But right now I am doing specific research on specific places in Maryland, like a, like a gay bar that has been operating since the 1950s in Baltimore and like a African-American fraternal lodge that hosted uh, pansy balls in the 1930s um, in, uh, in Maryland. And so that has been wonderful. I would love to do something like that in Indiana. And I'm sticking around till I can, but I realize in Indiana it might be a few more years before we get there. 
Oh, please do it though. That's how fun. <laughs> please do it. Yeah. <laughs> I know there were a lot of places in uh, Indy that are now passed. Um, a lot of yeah. a lot of spots, and uh, the gentleman who taught me art conservation and restoration. I worked for him uh, for a number of years, and in Indianapolis, and he was just this font of information and his friends and they they would you know it was a, it was a different era um back in the 60s and the 70s and and there was so much deep rich history so that's uh i think it's necessary and it's necessary to capture capture it before you know people pass on and uh that's yeah. that's so cool so i hope you get to do indiana history because there's one doesn't think lgbtq history in Indiana, perhaps, um, you know, I, I never did until that. And I was like, oh my gosh, wow. There's it, you know, we are everywhere. Um, but we were functioning everywhere. It wasn't just in the shadows. So. Well, we also had Kinsey here, of course. And yeah. there's a yeah. lot of stories there and a lot of mm -hmm. really famous, influential people from the LGBTQ community who came to Bloomington. Um, mm -hmm you know, because of Kinsey and Yeah. I okay, I have a question. And um it, I listening to the story. So I I get the whole, you know, you haul after the first date thing, right? No the stereotype. We have heard tell. <laughs> we have heard tell that that exists. Yes. <laughs> but you bought a truck and then yes. lived out of it and crossed the country for a year. What was that? That that had to have been uh an amazing time. Like what and and also bonding and also kind of like, you know, all right, it's kind of a make or break situation for a relationship, right? Yeah. You betcha. Yeah. To clarify, that was a year and a half into our relationship. Okay. It wasn't like a month later. <laughs> Uh, and, it, and it turns out it was really good practice for the COVID lockdown because yeah. I was We've like, we've done this before. Yeah. In a yeah. smaller space. In a smaller space than our tiny house. <laughs> so, but um, yeah, it was intense. I think, I mean, I think we both have hopefully really magical memories from it, but in the day to day, there was, you know, a fair amount of grumpiness, but the beauty of getting together so young is, you know, we were able to grow like around each other and with each other. And so um, I think it would be really hard to, um, you know, we have some experience with this of like partnering with other people in middle age, like you get a little more set in your ways. Uh -huh. but, uh, but that period was a real big period of making or breaking the relationship as you said mm -hmm. like definitely we worked out a lot of stuff yeah. in that little Datsun pickup truck before the internet I might add it was a Datsun <laughs> yeah. oh yeah before yeah so it was old when we got it yeah, yeah. that's that's awesome yeah. <laughs> but it was also I think like um I mean, for me particularly, I felt like we we sort of dropped into a bunch of different little subcultures around the country, um, and Bloomington figured very largely in the in that trip. So we called it the Lesbian Love Tour '94. We were doing a zine comic strip about it and sending that to our friends in the mail. In the mail, the actual U.S. That's so cool. <laughs> And there was no internet. So we had to figure out like how to do things. We had like a book that was telling us where free campgrounds were. Right. Um, but <laughs> the... Sending postcards to our parents once a week, <laughs> telling them where we were that day. <laughs> so they could plot us if we never returned. The, um, but we stopped in Bloomington. So this is 1994. And I was kind of trying to do this project about like, artistic communities that were doing things in relationship to their community. So like I interviewed the people at Bloomington Playwrights Project. Mm -hmm. um, 
as part of that. But then we were, we stayed with um, our friends, Joe and Pam, who were living out of an old, like 1880s log cabin in Brown County that had like a spring fed pond and like this cool little greenhouse thing that had been attached to it. And like, it was just this convening place for all these sort of hippie musician types. And um, we were skinny dipping in the pond in the middle of the night and the musicians were playing music all around. And so when Sue got the opportunity to, you know, go to North Carolina or go to Indiana, I was like, well, that Bloomington place was pretty mm -hmm. cool. That, <laughs> that sounds typically that. Bloomington to me because I, grew up as a hippie child here and that's how everybody lived oh, wow. these old houses with ponds and skinny dipping yes in the 70s so <laughs> i can see the appeal to that yeah it was a good first impression <laughs> <laughs> so you've been curating your own history because at this point it's almost 30 years together right so yeah is is this going to become a book or or uh some sort of performance or whatever or a zine. <laughs> or a zine. You know, I keep trying to get it up to do another zine, like a COVID zine or something like that. And man, it's really time consuming. Like you have to be very patient to do comics art, you know? Like every little square takes so long. Anyway. Or have no job and be living out on the truck. So I get I take I, you. I've don't... never thought of doing a memoir, actually, oh. or any kind of performance. But a zine would be perfect for that. It'd be so perfect for that. <laughs> or a book in the a book in the style of a zine. That would be that would that's be wicked. Yeah, that's a graphic back. novel. Yeah. Here we go. Because I mean your relationship has spanned, you know, the nineties and the two thousands mm -hmm. and the teens, you know, now we're in the twenties and and LGBT life has changed so much in that time, you know. It really, and and it is yeah. for the much better. But I mean, yeah, it's it's mm -hmm. you know we were still like ninety four. There was like okay, we all know about Melissa, um, but she's not been out yet, you know. <laughs> and like exactly. there was no queer characters <laughs> on TV. Right. And, and it was still, you know, a huge joke when it was in a movie or something. It, it was, uh, um, it was, yeah, a that was before even Ellen came out, right? Yeah. Which came out? Ellen. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, yeah. I mean that, you know, living through that and having a relationship through that time. I don't know. I like the evolution part. I like that. Uh, this is a perfect, you know, example of, of evolution uh mm -hmm. around you and and also you're evolving through that time yourselves so yeah i actually a had a really unexpected reaction to like our sudden official acceptance mm -hmm. um in the 2010s you know at the time we were able to get legally married and at the time public history and LGBTQ history were coming together. So sort of my professional crazy dreams were coming true. But I went through a period where I was really angry. I just, because by that time we were in our mid forties, which, you know, is not hopefully the end of the road, but it, we, we had missed a lot of opportunities along the way, particularly children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, I mean, certainly many, many couples made that choice, like that made the choice to go ahead with it. But at the time we were seriously considering it, like Indiana didn't have like adopt, like a partner. Yeah. For somebody of the same sex, like we could be, we could have a child, but that child would be in perpetual danger of having their family taken away from them and you know we made the decision not to have children and you know by the time like it was this beautiful uh moment in lgbtq history it it was a wonderful thing to see but 
to some extent, it was a little hard to realize that like we couldn't get some things back. Like actually this was right around the same time my father um, was dying and um, the, I had had a very hard road to hoe <laughs> with my family of origin um, in my, my choice to partner with Danielle. And, um, and the rest of my family, like they just kind of needed the, so, the societal acceptance and then they could, you know, come back to me. But I was really angry. I was like, now I'm cool. Now I'm okay. Like, you know, <laughs> like just because it's socially acceptable, but it wasn't okay before. And then I never even had that with my father because he, um, you know, the times were changing a bit, but you know, at that point he wasn't changing much and he was distracted with, you know, his own um, process, you know, of transitioning to the next place. But um, yeah, so it was, I was very unexpected. I would have expected to be doing nothing but dancing in the street, but it was complicated. And I, I, I think part of that was having been with the same person through all of those changes. And so I could very clearly look at Danielle and know like things we didn't get to do together, but I'm yeah. still happy it happened. <laughs> and I'm delighted for the youngins. We have the, one of the children in our life is um, not so young anymore, is a freshman in college and has, um, and is queer and has, it's just been such a joy to get to see a different experience of coming out than we had in the eighties. But you were the trailblazers, you know, and, and, and the folks I, before us were yes, the yeah. trail, trailblazers. Well, too. I mean, there's, there's that continuation and, you know, yeah. each generation is, has push the envelope um like the generation before was was the uh, pre-stonewall generation mm -hmm. where they were still hiding in in you know rooms and and dark corners and um and no people i'm sorry and being put in paddy wagons and then put in paddy wagons I, uh, I think this is yeah this is what i love about this project too is that we have people from you know, from the 60s, who met in the 60s, we have people who met in the 70s, we have people who met in the 80s. And if you listen to these stories, you know, one thing that I think about is how comfortable are you uh, holding hands in public? You know, it's like, mm -hmm. it's, it's almost, you can almost see this, this uh, line of acceptance, depending on what generation you're from. And, um, you know, and you were talking about finding these places of history. And we have these stories from uh, there are two couples who were who got to know each other in the 60s. And it's just a completely different world. And it is bittersweet, I think, um, to see how far you've come and and uh, and to look, you know, lovingly at the new generation who don't have to go through what you went through, but yeah. have, their own, have their own issues. <laughs> exactly. But I do want to say, even though I don't want it to go backwards at all you know, and maybe I'm being a little bit of a devil's advocate here or anything or something. Um, it's interesting to me because I have young foster kids, uh, two of which are queer, and their whole life is completely different than the way I grew up. You know, they're completely open, out, you know, they hold hands with their partners, things like that. And I think that that's so wonderful. I would never want that to change. But they were talking recently about how they don't see the point of having any more gay bars or lesbian bars or LGBTQ bars. Uh, that seems really pointless to them. And to me, it started to make me very sad because when I came out, we had Bullwinkles and that was a community to me. And it was a very strong community. And so even though we were underground, even though we were hiding a lot of the times who we were at work or from our families or whatever, there was this very strong queer community that was your chosen family. And 
we had events and places to go that now it's so accepted that those aren't needed anymore. And I think maybe that's a, a really good thing. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. But then I started to get strangely nostalgic for my own imprisonment. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> you know, it's just sort of like, I don't know. Are they experiencing the same sort of sense of community that I experienced with other people through the prejudice that we experienced? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, well, now you, hopefully you have, <laughs> you see the appeal of LGBTQ history, but like Absolutely. the, I, I, I love history and I love all aspects of it. And I really do approach my work generally, not even just with queer history, thinking about like, you know, tending to the ancestors and keeping their memories alive. But particularly with LGBTQ history is, you know, there's, there is so much that the, the wider public doesn't know about our culture and about what we contributed to the larger culture in the United States mm -hmm. um, because there it was also underground and people weren't talking about it. And so I really do um, feel so lucky to get to do this work and, um, and uncover these things. And particularly, like, as I was saying, one of the, um, one of the projects I'm working on is researching a long running gay bar. And part of that project is talking about the role of that type of institution. Right. Because in it wasn't just another. a bar. Yeah, it was a community of people and oftentimes yeah. an artistic community. Or a, mm -hmm. And another project I'm working on is um, a LGBTQ health services building that um, was actually started before the AIDS ep epidemic, but because it started before that, they were they were in the best position in their community to address that. So they they provided health services throughout the AIDS epidemic, and before that, I think you know some of that context has been lost. That like there was a real danger of coming out to your doctor. Like, you know, that, that and, and going to a doctor because say you had an STI and then, you know, next thing you know, you could have been committed or fired from your job when they like filed a report with your health insurance. Like, you know, and so these LGBTQ health organizations were these underground entities just trying to keep us alive when like the medical establishment was not our friend. No. So, yeah, it's, it's really it's powerful work. And at the same time, I'm glad that they're now just kind of stories of the past, as opposed to a welcome to our community. This is what your life is like, <laughs> you know, right. welcome to the oppression right. and hiding. That, um, so we're going to have you on again, if you're willing uh, <laughs> to go over LGBTQ history, because I would love oh. that. I could talk about that forever. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah, that would be so, so cool. I it is that uh, it's the it's the uh, crucible of oppression that created that we had to create our own communities, you know, and and that is what made us, you know, a, a community tight and and um, gave birth to all of the institutions that are now kind of like you're saying, Justin, just disintegrating. Oh, why do we need this? You know, um, I have a daughter and she forgot to come out to me. Right, because she maybe didn't feel like she- It wasn't she... a big deal, right? Right. It happened to me too. I was like, oh, you're queer. I mean, yeah, it's like, yeah. Yeah. my kids are the same way, which is totally cool. I mean, it is so cool, but it's us, I don't know. Well, and I was upset. I was like, I don't get to, you know, give you this speech. I don't get to do a party. I mean, you know, you just like throw it out there and it's like, oh, what do I do with this? Um, but at the same time, yeah, the, the, the fresher generations, the, the newer ones. Um, and I'm not looking at you, Ireland, but, uh, <laughs> but 
it just to see the progression and and one of the things that struck me about bloomington was how um open people could live and and not have those refuges you know um so i get the appeal of this town for the lgbt community i, I wanted to come down here or I, i'm from up by chicago and i wanted to move down here um because of the atmosphere um yeah it's it's just really unique and you've contributed to it and that's wonderful too so it it's been so lovely to have you on and i know uh, yeah. Daniel, you've got a so, right? yeah, i'm gonna cut out but feel free if you want yeah i just uh, can i just oh. say that there's a i put a link in the chat that has the full interview with Sue and Danielle that we did a couple years ago. So it's a video interview. So oh. if you didn't get enough from the 10 minute podcast and you want to hear more from them, you can click on that link. <laughs> Post that. Thank you. It was <laughs> nice seeing you all. Sue, nice thank you for being nice on the show. You. It's been great. Have fun. <laughs> Oh, no, I, I'm just, um, I'm so pleased to have, to have you back on. I'm just. It's great to have guests again. It's been yeah. a long time. <laughs> it's great I'm, to see you too, Jennifer. But I think that this has been our whole show, which is. Yeah, great. I think we're so. A little over time, actually. We're well, but it. it's been so good listening and everything. Yeah, good luck with this one, Lucas. Yeah. Yeah, you know, get Danielle and I talking about ourselves. No, I love it. It's great. It's so good. It was so wonderful to hear. <laughs> I told you that all of that other stuff. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I heard the full the interview when I was editing, but it was so great to hear you just talk about sort of you know what came after and how things are now. So yeah, thank That's you. Yeah. I'm, I'm waiting for that zine. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Well, she's, she's, she is um, has the time now to uh, pander to her creative side. So yes, I want to read it. I'll have to give you my address. Right. <laughs> right. We'll send it in the mail. We're still gonna mail it. <laughs> What's address? Yeah, I don't. <laughs> Do we still have those? Is that a thing? Oh, <laughs> right. uh, I have an email address. <laughs> right. I just live there. Um, all right, so I should probably close it, right? Yeah. Uh, what we're doing? I should skip past the opening and go down to the close. Over. <clears throat> I I hate this part of the night. This is this is the this is the part that's just breaks my heart. Oh, that rhymed! Yay. <clears throat> well, we are out of time again. I would like to thank Jennifer Bass for coming back. And um, we'll have her on again for another installment of Just Married, of course. And thank you to Danielle and Sue for sharing your story with all of us. Thank you so much. Blooming Out is a production of WFHB Community Radio and produced by Melanie Davis and Cade Young. Lucas Fisher is our engineer. For Blooming Out and WFHB, I'm Justin Robertson. I'm Ireland Meacham. I'm Lucas Fisher. And I'm Melanie Davis. Remember, if everything were straight, roller coasters would be one long, boring ride. Be well, stay safe, speak truth, manifest equity, demand justice, wear your masks, and good night from your Blooming Out family. <laughs>